Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome to More Than Amuse podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello everyone, welcome back to More Than Amuse podcast. I'm Sadie. And I'm Stani, and happy November. We're here. Yeah. We've made it. I can't believe there's only one more month left until this the year, year's I, over. I feel like this is such a cliche to say, but this year really has flown by. <laughs> Does it feel like it gets faster and faster every year you get older? Yes. Like time in general. I was just thinking this as I sat down to record. It's 5.30 p.m. right now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, my whole afternoon went by so fast. And what did I even do in my afternoon? <laughs> where does where does the time go? I, I don't know. know. It stresses me out. I feel like I accomplished more when I was younger in a day. <laughs> Absolutely. Now it it's like longer. wow, I showered. Yeah. And worked out. if I can shower, work and work out in one day. I've, wow. I've done amazing yeah. things. You're accomplishing way more than most people mm-hmm. probably do. <laughs> If I can do anything but work, yeah, no, that's then true. I feel great. True to that, especially because they have five million jobs. So <laughs> I know you're just working like four. Jobs. It's, fine. <laughs> it's it's fine. It's fine. Well, I'm excited about this episode. Um, we're kind of switching things up. I know Sadie usually does week one. But at back at the beginning of the podcast, I did week one for a while, so we're just flipping it again. We're just flip-flopping. In honor of, like, I don't know, the season, I feel like um, Thanksgiving brings up a lot of conversations about, like, indigenous people and yeah. all of that, as well as, if you don't know, um, Canada actually has, like, their Thanksgiving, kind of? What yeah. is it? Is it, like, Canada day or is it like a canadian thanksgiving i don't know i think it's like because I, I know they have canada day but i think that might be separate than their thanksgiving anyway in honor of all the canadians i actually ended up finding an indigenous canadian artist Ooh. my dog is making a lot of noise stop anyway so i found an indigenous canadian artist and she's really cool and has a really wonderful story so i'm really excited to talk about her a disclaimer right off the bat i'm probably going to pronounce a lot of these names wrong i tried to look up like 
ways to pronounce a lot of them and I just couldn't find a lot of ways to pronounce them. They're Inuit indigenous names. So um, forgive my whiteness (laughs) in all of this because it's definitely going to be coming out, but I'm trying my best. Okay, should I just go for it? Jump in. I'm excited. Awesome. Okay, so today we are talking about Kenajuak Ashivak. I know I have her first name right. I I don't know if I have her last name right, but it's Kenajuak. She was born on October 3rd, 1927 on Baffin Island in the Northwest Territories of Canada. And she was actually born in an igloo in an Inuit camp. Which wow. sounds cold, but I've I've heard they're actually a lot warmer than you think. So I know I was gonna say it, as as much as it's you know an ice house, yeah. I've heard that they're pretty warm. Yeah, um, her camp was called Erkasak, um, and it was along the southern coast. So her father, it's Ushu. Kajuk, but who he was an Inuit hunter and fur trader, and her mother, Salaki, ended up naming Kenajuak after her own father. And according to this tradition um, of like naming someone after someone else that you know, like in their honor, um, the love and respect that had been accorded to her during her lifetime would now pass on to their daughter. So that's oh, kind of cool. cool. So it was like a way to pass on the like blessings from that person as well okay which is a really wonderful and I wish that was kind of a thing in all cultures because like if you're gonna yes. name someone after someone then I mean I feel like that's like why you name someone mm-hmm. after them is to like honor them so I think it's like beautiful that there's like that extra bonus of that you know yeah what I mean? maybe like oh well all of the honor and blessings that were on them will also continue on to you so just very beautiful so, Kenajuak remembered her father as a very kind and benevolent man. He was a really respected shaman in the tribe. He had more knowledge than average mortals, it was said, and he would help all of the Inuit people. According to Kenajuak, her father believed he could predict weather, predict good hunting seasons, and even turn into a walrus. And he had the ability to make fish swarm at the surface so it was easier to fish. Sadly, this is like a major thing that is so sad in her story but her father had a conflict with some christian converts and some enemies assassinated him in a hunting camp in 1933 when she was only six years old so i'm sure that makes like those memories of him even more precious to her because she only got six years with him after her father's murder kenajoak moved with her widowed mother and her family to the home of her mother's mother so her grandmother Koisa, who taught her traditional crafts, including repairing seal skins for trade with the Hudson Bay Company and how to make waterproof clothes sewn with caribou sinew, which sounds so interesting and so useful. When she was 19 years old, her mother and her stepfather then arranged for her to marry a man named Janibo Ashkavak, and he was a local Inuit hunter. And um, Kenajoak was actually really reluctant. Uh, she would even throw pebbles at him playfully when he would approach her. Like, go away. <laughs> Which she said playfully. So uh, <laughs> hopefully she wasn't like really upset about it. 
Um, In time, however, she said she came to love him for his kindness and gentleness, a man who developed artistic talents in his own right and who sometimes collaborated with her on her projects. The Gallery of Canada actually holds two of Johnny Bow's works. They're called Talilelo with Seabird and Hair Spirits, which is really amazing. In 1950, a public health nurse arrived in this Arctic village, and Kenajoak had actually tested positive in a tuberculosis screening. And due to this, she was sent against her will to Parc Savard Hospital in Quebec, and she ended up having to stay there for over three years, from early 1952 to summer of 1955. And for three years. The worst part is that right before she was forcibly transferred, she had given birth. And so the baby had to be adopted by a neighboring family because they couldn't feed it without the mom yeah Yeah. and several of her fam like several of her children of kenadrak's children actually ended up dying while she was confined in the hospital which makes it even more horrible obviously like tuberculosis is no joke it's not super common around here anymore but um it's deadly if it's not treated in 1966 uh, Kenna Joak and Johnny Bow moved to Cape Dorset, and many of their children and grandchildren had succumbed to different diseases, and shortly after, her husband did as well after 26 years of marriage. Three uh, daughters of Kenna Joak, Mary, Alyssa P., and Agiak, died in mm-hmm. childhood, and four sons, Jamasi, her adopted son, Ashkavak, and Kadlajerk, and Quidic took with the last two actually having to be adopted at birth by another family so really sad that that happened the year after johnny bow died in 1972 kenna remarried to a man edigaya kajui and he ended up dying in 1977 so just a couple of years after they had gotten married like this poor woman i know in 1978, she married another man named Jonasi Igwe, and had, um, at that time, she had had 11 children from her first husband, adopted five more, seven of those children died in childhood, and at the time of her death from um, lung cancer, she was living in a wood frame house in Kingate in Cape Dorset. So, definitely not an easy life at all um, riddled with disease and death which is really really sad however she left like a lasting impact in the world of art and so that's kind of what we'll get into now so Kenna Joak was one of the first Inuit women in Cape Dorset who began drawing so she worked okay. in graphite colored pencils and felt tip pens and occasionally used poster paints watercolors and acrylics she also created carvings out of soapstone and oh. had thousands of drawings, etchings, stone cut prints, and prints that have all been sought after by museums and collectors. So made a very large impact. She actually also designed several drawings for different Canadian stamps and coins, which is really oh, cool. cool. And in t- 2004, she created the first Inuit-designed stained glass window, for the John Bell Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. 
And in 2017, the $10 bill released in celebration of Canadians' 150th birthday features Kennejoac stone cut and stencil printed work called Owl's Bouquet in silver holographic foil, which wow. is so cool. So she was on the 10, well, her art was on the $10 bill. While she was actually staying at the hospital in Quebec for those years, she learned how to make dolls from Harold Pfeiffer and to do beadwork. And these crafts later attracted the attention of a pioneer Inuit art performer, promoter, <laughs> James Archibald Houston and his wife Alma. And Houston introduced paint ma- printmaking to Cape Dorset artists in the 1950s. So he and his wife, they began marketing different Inuit arts and crafts and even did an exhibit of Inuit art in the 1959. And he actually ended up writing about Oshkavak in 1999 and said she was hesitant at first, claiming that she could not draw and that drawing was a man's business. Yet the next time that he visited the Houstons, the sheets of paper that Alma had given her were filled with pencil sketches. In 1958, her first print, Rabbit Eating Seaweed, was produced from one of her designs on a sealskin bag, and by 1959, Kenna and other Cape Dorset Inuit had formed the West Baffin Eskimo Cooperative as Senlevik, which means workshop, for aspiring Inuit artists, later known as the Kingate Studios. Fellow members included Pitalusi Sila, Merorik Ashuna, and Napachi Pudagut. So really cool that even though she originally kind of thought of it as something she wasn't allowed to do based on her gender, that like she just couldn't help it. Yeah. Yeah. And that they ended up forming this little studio together. So her reception in Southern Canada was like rapidly favorable. Like people really, really liked it really fast. Um, Rabbit Eating Seaweed was her first print and was part of that debut exhibition of the Inuit graphics. She was considered an immediate success and an expert in Inuit art with the National Gallery of Canada says she had her own sense of design. She was already willing to let the pencil go because she had the hand and the eye coordination to make the image she already had in her head. Today, that National Gallery of Canada owns several copies of her print, The Enchanted Owl, including the original pencil sketch from 1960, and have it all in an exhibit there. In 1963, she was even the subject of a National Film Board documentary um, by the producer John Feeney, and that's titled Eskimo Artist Kenna Joak. And it's about her and her family at that time. She was 35 years old. So it goes over like traditional Inuit life on Baffin Island and how she created her works of art, which the process is like she creates the design by sketching it out. And then a stone cutter carves her design into a relief block, cutting away all the non-printing surfaces. And then you apply ink to the carved stone in two or more colors and then make 50 shadow prints for sale. So pressing that onto paper carefully. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. The person I found, her name is Lily Arnold. Um, Her Instagram handle is Lily Arnold Studios. And she's from Santa Cruz, California. And she's a printmaker, illustrator, and designer. And um, the thing that I love about this most is that a lot of the printing techniques she does and shows on, like, her TikTok and her Instagram are a lot of the ones that we talked about today. 
So if you want to see how Kenna Joack probably did a lot of that printmaking, I feel like this is a great way to see that process up close because it's kind of hard to explain. Um, Oh, yeah, this is insane. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I can't even fathom doing something like (laughs) this. Exactly. It's actually insane. And it's really cool, too, because hers are, like, huge. Um, And a lot of the times people work on a smaller scale because, like, carvings like that is it's really hard to get it all to line up correctly and have all the right colors that you need and everything and yet she doesn't want a really big scale yeah so beautiful and they're stunning she's currently on maternity leave so I don't think she's like creating anything new right now but just fun to go back and look at a lot of her videos and check out printmaking process that people still use today this was like original graphic design kind of this is how they did a lot of Stuff like this. Um, oh. Andy Warhol and all of them kind of did a lot because it was considered like printmaking and not traditional yes. art. And so it was considered more of that graphic design area before the computer was invented. Stole the show. So check it out. Okay. So the person that I found is the Instagram is O Jess Marie Art. And she is a doodler, bookworm, nature lover, and agent of whimsy is her bio, which I just love. Love that. But she just has different adorable prints and little, just the coziest vibes. I don't know oh even my how gosh. to explain it. I've seen these illustrations on Pinterest. Oh, you have? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's perfect. Yeah, then. <laughs> that's funny. They're so cute. You're right. They are the, like the just the coziest thing. Yeah, I don't even know how else to explain it. But you have she has like an Etsy shop that you can get just these prints on. Um, like I think you could get them as like cards. Oh, it looks like she has tote bags too. Yeah, like you can go on her Redbubble shop and like get tote bags stickers and like i feel like it'd be the cutest tote bag oh my gosh i'm kind of obsessed there's a shower curtain with like little whales like there's one that says like nose in a book and it's just so cute cute. oh this is adorable so fall feels so fall i know i think it's like perfect for this time of year too agreed just i love it again that's oh jess marie art definitely go follow check it out and also like now i'm just like excited for this to pop up on my feed because it's so cute cool well just a reminder if you are an artist or if someone you love is an artist then feel free to send in their name so we can feature them or your name we're always looking for more all right now back to the show with the money she earned from the film, she was able, her husband, Johnny Bo at that time, was able to purchase his own canoe and become an independent hunter to help provide for the family. Wow. Yeah, so it did really well. Um, there is a note that she did not really agree with the title of Eskimo artist, Kenna Joak. She wanted it to be Inuit artist. Um, but the studio pushed back and said that Inuit wasn't, Inuit wasn't a recognizable enough name at the time. And so oh. it would be catchier if it was Eskimo. Because so, like, everyone knew what an Eskimo was. So I don't know if Eskimo is kind of like slang. Yes. Okay. No idea. Let's look. It's considered unacceptable. Oh, because it means eaters of raw meat. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So it has a derogatory con- connotation. 
so yeah so little history lesson there then like obviously she didn't want to go by eskimo but because it was more common they pushed it um the two tribes that the word eskimo usually refers to is inuit and yupik that live along the atlantic coast so not a good idea so inuit artist is definitely a better fitting title um that same national gallery of canada art expert even like marveled at her artistry in the film because she would sit down and draw and she never used an eraser wow which is like so impressive to me because i use an eraser on everything (laughs) i mean yeah yeah So that's like a whole other level of artistry to just be able to sit down and do. And just create. Yeah. Ken and Joak also created different pieces of art to commemorate the creation of Nunavut, which is the third Canadian territory. And then um, also a piece was commissioned by the Department of Indian and Northern Affairs called Our Beautiful Land, but in Inuit for the signing of the Inuit Land Claim Agreement in principle in April 1990. There was also a large hand-colored lithograph to commemorate the signing of the final agreement early in 1994, a large diptych titled Silivat Nunavut, Our Environment, Our Land, in April 1999, and that's when the territory officially came into being. So really cool that she was able to kind of help depict a lot of the mm-hmm. history of her tribe and her people throughout her art as well, and that they were all commissioned. Now, today, she has collections in Canadian Canada's National Gallery, the Art Gallery of Ontario, and the Burnaby Art Gallery. And she was actually the first Inuit artist inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame in 20, 2001, and um, ended up traveling to Toronto with her daughter to attend to that ceremony. So she was able to see oh, it. Cool. Up until her death, she contributed annually to, they have like a annual print release in Cape Dorset and created new works. And she was one of the last living artists from that original West Baffin Eskimo cooperative group. Wow. She lived for quite a while, actually. An artist from Cape Dorset who knew her personally said that she brought Inuit art to the world but was very humble about her work, that when she appeared on the radio to talk about her art, she didn't want to come across as someone who brags about it, but that she was very thankful that she was given this work, this talent, and this gift. And, like, also cool that she, like, had the chance to, like, be on the radio and, like, talk about it. Yeah. I think that just, like, shows that she was very successful. Definitely. very desired her art. And... To push that even further, since her death, prices for her work are reaching new records all the time. Um, wow. One of the latest, that rabbit eating seaweed, just went for 59000 Canadian dollars. Wow. Yeah, so I'm sure they'll continue to break more and more records. She described her work in 1980 and said, I just take things out of my thoughts and out of my imagination, and I don't really give any weight to the idea of its being an image of something. I am just concentrating on placing it down on paper in a way that is pleasing to my own eye, whether it has anything to do with subjective reality or not. And that is how I've always tried to make my images, and that is still how I do it. And I haven't really thought about it any other way than that. That is just my style, and it's the way I started and the way I am today. I guess, too, then that makes sense with the fact that she, like, never has to erase, you know? Mm-hmm. That she just, like, 
has She's it like, in your head and this knows is what it. Wants. Yeah, this is what it is. Yeah, which is really amazing. So, like I said, she helped create multiple postage stamps and that $10 bill. She also was elected a member of the Royal Canadian Academy of Arts in 1974. Um, she was appointed a companion to the Order of Canada in 1982. She received two honorary doctorates from Queen's University and the University of Toronto. A piece of hers called The Red Owl was featured on the April issue of the 1999 Millennium Quarter series, and her initials were actually put in their tribe's language, which is Inikutut, and they were left on the design, and that was the first time the language had appeared on a coin ever, which is amazing as well. Oh, on October 19th, 2016, a Heritage Minute, which I'm guessing is kind of like a minute-long video, pretty much, yeah. was released by Historica Canada. And for the first time ever, it was also narrated in a language other than French or English, which is the two national languages of Canada. Why do I keep wanting mm -hmm. to say Canada? <laughs> when I used to work on the Canada in my job, all the time, Canada. <laughs> it's like, no, wrong. And um, in that case, it was so that was the first time they ever had a third language and it was a tribal language and her That's tribal cool. language what makes mm -hmm. it even cooler is her granddaughter narrated narrated it in oh, yeah, yeah in their language and also appeared in it with her family and that's her there's not a lot of information on her it's actually kind of sad but still like i'm glad that i know about her now and i like as you were talking i just googled like rabbit eating seaweed and it's mm -hmm. like it's such an amazing distinct art style and she's a very cute old woman i know she has the sweetest face and she lived to be quite old i mean compared to the how young the rest of her family passed away um she yeah. died on january 8th 2013 at age 85 yeah wow um, she has very warm eyes. I know. She has like the sweetest face. I was kind of bummed because she lived until 85. She had quite a long life. She seemed to be extremely successful and receive a lot of awards. And yet yeah. I couldn't find out a lot about her. Like her personal life. Or yeah. yeah. I mean, other than what I said, which I mean, like, yeah, okay, like births and deaths and when they moved, which I guess are the things the government traces. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes sense. Just kind of interesting that there's not a, a ton. But I think it just kind of shows, like, she made prints. She stayed in her tribe. She, like, developed her art and did yeah. commissions. And that was kind of what she what she did. I'll definitely post her art. Um, yeah, please do. It's really cool. I, like, love print making. I think it's, like, one of the most incredible things because it literally takes so much time and effort in order yes. to do it. And I don't think people realize that. <laughs> like, you have to paint all the individual parts and, like, carve it out and then test it to make sure it doesn't get anywhere else on the paper and just with how many colors and shapes and like fine details she has in hers like it I took a lot of time imagine. so they're really incredible she also just looks like the kind of person that you would just want to like sit down and like talk to you know yeah mm -hmm. like i said there's just like a kindness in her face and in her eyes 
And it's amazing that she was able to bring recognition to like her people and their their art styles. Um, it definitely has like a very I, I don't want to be like offensive, but it definitely like has more an indigenous feel than a lot of other art. So I feel like it is a good representation of like imagery she grew up around and which just goes to show that like why it's so valuable to like get artwork from people with like varying life experience and cultures and like how that brings so much more to art like yes. it just like proves how needed and like important that is oh agreed plus it's just really cool that like i was able to find her you know and yeah and talk about her cause how did you find her I literally searched everywhere for indigenous artists. <laughs> Just so everyone knows, we try to have as much as diversity as we can on this podcast. It's hard mm-hmm. sometimes because these people are really hard to find because we're not only talking about female artists, we're also talking about like women of color and... Mm-hmm. we've talked so many times about how they just write them out of the history books even if they did gather fame and attention during their lifetime and so I think I went through like a huge wikipedia thing and was just trying to like click on every indigenous artist it mentioned on a list until I found one that was a female and, and was also so too it's like the other struggle is like when we do find one sometimes it's like is this enough information to even do a whole podcast episode exactly on? which is like what like this is a shorter one than normal but uh-huh. just because of that but i think it's still important for us to like still mention them even yeah. if you know no i agree and luckily info. she has like a lot of art pieces and everything yes. and like some really good quotes and i had enough about her life i felt like we could talk about her but there are times when we run across people and all you can find is a sentence or like a little <laughs> paragraph of like their life and it's like uh, how am i supposed to extrapolate this into anything exactly else? <laughs> so it's it's hard and i think it's kind of shows an even deeper discussion of like what's going on with our history that we do push back people who are different than all of the others that are before that have succeeded you know like it's way harder Mm -hmm. for women of color and even more so for indigenous women and as we all know how hard it is for just women in general (laughs) so it just adds like that whole other layer of like history for getting people who are prominent and important because of their race or sex or everything else well cool i'm glad though that you were able to find her and present on her and like i said now i have know of her amazing artwork and mm-hmm. yeah like i said it's really beautiful like just the colors and everything i, I know they're stunning thanks everyone for listening being here and if you've been a fan of the podcast definitely follow on instagram more than amused podcast and you subscribe maybe leave us a review we really appreciate it yeah and you get a chance to kind of follow along with whatever episode we talked about that week see more of the art also just a reminder that we have a book episode every month um just on a different thing we're reading and this month we are reading women who run with wolves um, so there is a book link that we have that you can go and check out and it will just help a small bit of your purchase go to us without any more cost mm-hmm. to you. So yes. just a little Amazon affiliate link if you want to use it and help us out a bit. Well, we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.
mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz, and I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.